0: The Exhaust Notes Podcast. Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to yet another episode of everyone's favorite Formula One podcast, The Exhaust Notes Podcast. I'm here with Todd Yates. We are missing our proverbial team principal, Nick Engval, who is, I believe, in COVID quarantine, but maybe not. He had a hell of a trip coming from Sacramento to Seattle as a part of a sneaker history listening event, but that's our other podcast. This is more of our nighttime Uh, job. Better late than never today.
1: But I'm here. I'm ready to talk Monaco and all. That's true of the spectacle or lack thereof that we saw.
0: Now, I think it's a very interesting race. And in the true spirit of this modern iteration of the Monaco GP, we kind of delayed this episode by a couple days to go in line with the numerous delays (laughs) we saw in the actual race itself. And Todd will touch a little bit on that. But before we do that, let's just take care of some housekeeping. First, we'll go ahead and read our most recent review. And this is from Aaron0828, fun car content for everyone. Automotive puns, hot takes, news, and good times. A good listen and perspective from different levels of racing fandom. They're the better-looking American version of the Top Gear Grand Tour crew, even though we can't see them, and the guests are top-notch too. I would agree with all of that except for the last sentence. No, I kid. Aaron is probably the fourth Beatle, so to speak, so we really appreciate Aaron taking the time to write the review for us, and he is a tremendous guest. And I can safely say that with him in my life, I've actually learned a thing or two about the automotive side of Formula One. Do you wanna brown nose Aaron a little bit more, Todd, or no, should he, we doesn't go into the race? he uh
1: you know, we offered him to be our proverbial third fourth member, as you said, uh tonight and he was busy playing Uncle, so
0: Amen. And we all need one cool uncle. And I'm glad Aaron gets to be that for I believe his sister's kids. So shout out to the nephews. Hopefully you guys are future subscribers. That's my shameless plug for our podcast. Now, speaking of shameless plugs, we are going to stall a little bit because I thought I had the race results ready for the Monaco GP, but I can't find it. But as we continue to do that, talk to me about Todd What was actually happening in your mind as we were kind of going through the numerous delays? And then also use this opportunity to talk to us about something that I think maybe newer fans of our sport didn't realize, which was the rolling start. Um, So
1: I guess we'll do race results after. But we started this Monaco GP in a very weird way. There was rain threatened um, all weekend. We we heard that it was going to be rainy. There was, you know, lots of chatter about it. And then nothing in qualifying, um, pretty interesting qualifying session, but moving on to the race, uh, the rain came out, I think like, I don't know, half an hour or so before the race was supposed to start. And because they were weather watching like our favorite Nikita Mazepin, they said, Oh, it's going to get bad. So they, uh, delayed the start by 10 minutes. Giving all of the mechanics time to fit the cars with intermediate tires. Intermediate tires are the tires in between slick tires and wet tires. Um, and then by the time they did that, they said, "Oh, the weather's really coming." They really channeled that inner Nikita, and so they said, "Nope, rolling start. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a wet start. So it's going to be a rolling start, which requires you to put on the extreme wet tires." which is like the heaviest rain tire they have. Um, and let's talk about the rolling start real quick. The rolling start is instead of a standing start, as in all the cars line up on their little grid slots that you see on TV. Um, they do exactly that they are rolling and they start behind the safety car. They do a couple laps behind the safety car safety car finally peels off. And as they are approaching the line, there's a safety car line, um, That's towards the back of the the main straight Uh, once they pass that line, it's, you know, green flag, everybody's racing. So the person in front tries to get the jump on everybody else so he doesn't get passed down that main straight Um, and they, you know, roll away, so to speak.
0: And as we roll away from that explanation of a rolling start, I'll go ahead and give you the recap of the race as we know it. In first place, we had Sergio Perez. Second place, we had Carlos Sainz. Third place, we had Max Verstappen. Fourth place, we had Charles Leclerc, which probably would elicit an LOL from our fourth host, if you will. And then we had the Brits back-to-back, George Russell in fifth, uh, Lando Norris in sixth, Fernando Alonso in seventh, doing his best Thomas the Tank engine impression. Eight was Lewis Hamilton. Nine was Valtteri Bottas. Ten was Sebastian Vettel. Back into the points. Welcome, Seb. Eleventh was Pierre Gasly, who I think probably had his best race of the season. Twelfth was the naughty Esteban Ocon. Thirteenth was our favorite Aussie, Daniel Ricardo. Fourteenth was Lance Stroll. Fifteenth was his Canadian counterpart, Nicholas Latifi. Sixteenth was everybody's favorite Chinese driver, whose name I will butcher, Zhu Guangzhou. 17th was his counterpart from the Asian continent, Yuki Tsunoda. And 18th was Alex Albon, 19th was Mick Schumacher, and 20th was Kevin Magnussen. The last three did not finish. Where do we'll you want to start, start off we We'll talk
1: about the start procedure a little bit more. But first, I have to give you you a special shout out for, as the season goes on, do you say uh, Joe Guan Yu's name worse and worse, and I love that so much. Yes. it's Yeah. Yes. This is my Charles <laughs> Barkley. Really, it's, it's terrible. so good. Okay, so back to the start thing. So as I said, they finally called for rolling start, which requires you to fit the extreme wets. The problem was by that time they called for the rolling start, it wasn't raining anymore. So it wasn't extreme
0: wet weather tire need, like needed. that. The tire conditions weren't ideal. So talk to me about that. What exactly happens when you've got the wettest tire on, but it's dry? Like, does that result in some sort of performance degradation or are we not seeing these racers yeah, live so up to they, their car They quality? fit the
1: extreme wets and those tires require a cooler temperature and they get cooled by driving through the water um, that's on the ground. Uh, the Formula One cars, as you see in any wet race, they pick up the water they, because of the suction on the ground. They pick up the water and throw it into the air and they clear a path, a, a dry line, let's say um, – pretty quickly within a couple of laps. So those tires being the extreme wet tires on dry pavement will overheat pretty much immediately. And when they overheat, they get kind of greasy as what they call it. What actually happens is the compound of the rubber overheats and kind of turns to liquid too quickly. And then they shred pretty much immediately like within a couple of laps, they'll wear off the, the tread pattern. So
0: so truly it's made yeah, for, it needs uh, to be like uh, a solid, rain.
1: solid rain, not necessarily a downpour, but it needs to be solidly raining for those to be able to work. Um, even then t- drivers will prefer the intermediate tire. If it's not like a really heavy downpour um, because those have a uh, higher working window temperature wise, and they can, as we saw mm-hmm. in, I think Turkey last year, They drive them to the point where they kind of turn them into slicks. They wear away the tread so much that it's kind of like a slick in the middle. And it then kind of performs like a slick from there. Um, I think Lance Stroll actually drove an entire race on one set of tires last year. Oh, was it Ocon? It was Ocon. Your favorite. It was Ocon because... Yeah, so... um, The the reason that there was so much confusion in the start, apparently there was a power outage that affected the start lights during all of that changing weather conditions chaos. So they literally couldn't even use the start lights if they wanted to. However, they didn't communicate that to anybody, including us as the viewer. Um, So... Then once they actually did do the formation laps on these extreme wets, they red flagged the race again because it was absolutely dumping. There were some pretty amazing memes that came out of that with Valtteri or Terry Botas um, and his famous, you know, relieving himself in the stream picture. Somebody Photoshopped him butt naked as the cars were pulling into the pit when they red flagged it uh, because it was like a literal puddle in the last turn of the racetrack. And, Then uh, Terry retweeted that picture himself of uh, him naked in on the Monaco track in underwater.
0: As somebody that thinks he loves the look of his own ass, Terry Botas really loves the look of his own ass. (laughs) Quick tangent on that.
1: He saved a print of that that charity. Apparently, he took that picture because it blew up on Instagram he decided to sell it for charity and it had it open 10 bucks a piece for 24 hours. And he sold, uh, $50,000 worth for charity. So, you know, golf clap to you, Terry, for using your ass.
0: Make those cheeks clap as well, Terry. Good job.
1: So anyway, That, um, that's pretty much the long and short of it. We had like an hour and 10 minute delay. I think by the time we got going, it was a rolling start at the beginning. And I think within the first lap or first racing lap, we had three people pit, um, Stroll, Gasly, and one other, I think Ocon maybe, um, which
0: now, I thought Ocon stayed out a little bit longer. I want to say it might have been one of the big boys. Was it Magnuson? Because every race now, I feel he gets into it with Hamilton, and that always results in Magnuson. Maybe. Pitting it early. could have been him. But I digress. But
1: I definitely remember Gasly pitting right away, um, and I think that's why you think that was the best race of the season, but we can get into
0: that in a minute. And from there, we also kind of want to look at the fact that if I remember correctly, and it's been a minute, so listeners, Todd, keep me honest. If I remember, the Ferraris qualified 1-2. So it's kind of daunting and surprising to see when things finally shook out the way we just recapped. Charles Leclerc in fourth position. And my goodness, it truly is becoming the thing that we keep talking about, where it seems every week he starts off so strong. And then whether it's the Ferrari going to Ferrari... Or it's just the ineptitude of other drivers. And sometimes it's even the ineptitude of Charles himself. He just finds himself further and further away from Max. The silver lining in all this from a conspiracy theorist perspective is the fact that Checo Perez did what some of us wanted, which was get that first place and put a little bit of pressure on Max. But as of right now, Max seems to be happy that Checo got the first place, Red Bull secured the points. Where do we want to start off first? Because I think to me, I have never seen a team... Succumb to such a pedestrian make of telling somebody box box. Oh no, so, no, no, no. This no, is no, a no, great place to
1: start. And this is probably the main focal point of the race. But Ferrari just pulled a Ferrari and absolutely shit the bed on their race strategy. And I think it's down to one specific point. So during the first stint on the race, they were on the on the wet tire, it was drying out. They said, Okay, I think it's time time to pit. So they pulled Leclerc in with a healthy lead which was fine. He can, everyone else is going to have to pit too. He was in first place. So it'll, it'll all shake out in the end. Plus the time Delta, uh, from the wet tire to the intermediate tire was massive. I think it was like over two seconds a lap. So as long as they get in and out of the pits, they're fine. The one thing that really screwed Ferrari is that Carlos said, I'm not going to pit. I'm going to hold out on these first set of enters, uh, as long as I can, or I think it wait on the wets. I think he stayed on the wets. I gotta
0: I check thought, the lap chart. No, and like I said, we'll check the lap chart. But my thought was this it was interesting in the sense that you've got Charles, who's the number one driver who follows race instructions to a T. But the narrative I got coming out of that race was Carlos almost saved himself from Ferrari being Ferrari, where he was like, you know what, I'm gonna take this in my own hands, I trust myself and I trust what I can do in this car. And the one thing I will always say about Carlos Sainz, and you hear this kind of being spoken about in other places as well, he is one driver that truly puts his head down and races, and it always seems to work out for him. Now, when I say it seems to work out for him, yeah, he doesn't necessarily get first place finishes, but he's always in and around the podium. So that being said, I think this is why I still kind of have this new nagging suspicion that when this is all said and done, I wonder what are the odds that Carlos Sainz ends up with more points than Charles Leclerc this year. But, Todd, did I give you enough time to look you at the did, lap charts? And or you did. correct. To keep going? He
1: stayed out on the wets for 21 laps. They pulled in uh, Perez pitted for his uh, intermediates um, on lap 16. Uh, Sainz stayed out, like I said, until 21. Verstappen stayed out until uh, 18 laps. And Leclerc also 18 laps. But because of that difference, Leclerc switched to the intermediates and then was on those for three laps. So he had to pit twice within the first 19 laps. Signs stayed out 21 laps. So they he had two pit stops, which is how he lost the race. If they didn't communicate, so when they double boxed Ferrari and they said, oh, you know, pit, pit, or, you know, box, box, whatever, just Zach. kidding, stay out, stay out. And he was already in the pit lane. They put enters on a get, uh, on his car instead of going to a dry tire. So that immediately screwed him. And because of that, the time delta from Perez pitting earlier. Um, well, what was it? Four, three laps earlier. Yeah, he did 14? 16 laps on those on those wets. Um, 16, sorry. The time delta of those other four laps. That's how he was able to get ahead. So it's just. The curse of Charles Leclerc and Monaco continues just a quick tangent of his history. There, uh, 2017 F two brakes exploded 2018 in the Alfa Romeo. I think he had contact Oh no, that was 2019, uh, 2018. He had a gearbox failure 2019 in F one. Uh, he had contacts, Taurus, Carter shreds, 2020 hit the wall in qualifying then didn't start the race. Um, and then, and he started, he, he, he was going to be in pole position too. He That's pole, the big beat, and hit yeah. the wall, Which is another thing we can talk about because Max had a pretty good point in, uh, at least I think, um, because we had that same thing happen again in this qualifying where Max was on a lap and he was improving. Uh, what was it? Checo spun out, I think after he got. Checo spun out and then Carlos Sanz was right out. behind yeah. him. Yeah. So I'm wondering. So, yeah. I mean, That's the race to me in a nutshell. It was exciting, but for all the wrong reasons, only exciting for chaos. The racing itself was pretty bland, except for the absolutely hysterical all aboard the uh, Alonso train with a four second.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. No, I was just going to say this. I'm hoping that for all future Spanish dubs of Thomas the Tank Engine, it's Fernando the Freight, because that's essentially what it was. At one point, I was also comparing him to Mitch McConnell because I haven't seen somebody filibuster that much and impose a much more charismatic, darker skinned person that is in his profession the way Mitch McConnell did that to Barack Obama during his term. Fernando did that to Lewis, so that's my convoluted reach of the week. And it's also one of these things where you got to see the ugliness that is Monaco because it truly felt like a procession. And this time it wasn't even a parade, it was a funeral because we were just hoping to get to the end of the 30 minutes. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first race in a long time where we didn't race to the lap count. We raced till sundown or the 30 minutes. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Excuse me, the way it works
1: is once the clock starts on a race, they have two hours to complete that race. And because of all the delays, um, they ended up with, I think, like you said, about 30, 31 minutes left within those two hours to actually do the race. They have to complete the race procedure within a a four-hour window. It's all in the FAA rules. It's pretty confusing. But once the actual race starts, they have two hours from the start of the race to the end until the race is over. So instead of getting our 70... 70-whatever laps we normally get. Yeah, 77, okay. Um, We had, I think they ended up on 56 laps, I want to say.
0: Yeah, so it was interesting
1: from that aspect. Again, the racing wasn't interesting at all, but the Alonso train was insane. And I saw some amazing images because I think at one point, Alonso was going four seconds a lap slower than the average lap time and he had a a trail of cars. What was his finish?
0: Let's go back to that. Fernando was sixth, if I remember correctly. I just had it up. No, no. Keep going. I'll find it. Yeah. uh, Where where did Alonzo finish? Oh, seventh. Okay. But from Lewis
1: back, he had all of the cars in a train behind him, which just proves time and time again, that these cars are too big too big too heavy too slow, quote unquote, uh to race around this track. Like I'm the, I'm a fan of Monaco, I'm a fan of the history. I can, I guess we're jumping into this next section if that's okay with you. Go for
0: it. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I'm a fan of the history of Monaco, but it is my my question is do we need to see this continuing because i'll give a little info here this was the last uh year under contract for monaco and um there is i mean there's been rumors i think it was kind of debunked that monaco was the only race on the calendar that didn't pay an entry fee because races like miami's the new new uh grand prix i think they paid something like 85 million or something to As an entry fee, they paid that to the FIA to actually hold a race there. And then they make it all up with concessions and ticket sales and whatever. Sure. Um, But for the longest time, it was rumored that Monaco doesn't actually have to pay anything because of its history. It's one of the oldest Grand Prix circuits, even predating the actual F1 championship, I believe. Um. And I think that was debunked. I think they pay something like $15 million or whatever, but they have all the money in the world, obviously. It's Monaco. Um, But they're now out of contract, and there's a big division between the Auto Club de Monaco, I think I got that right, um, and the FIA between... Are they going to keep paying the fee? Uh, Monaco has also in its contract, due to its rich history, the its own exclusive broadcast rights. So they're in charge of all the TV direction, which if you've heard us rant about TV direction before, Monaco's one of the worst tracks on the calendar. There's a famous meme from last year, instead of showing a pass for the lead of the race, they cut to a replay of Lance Stroll going around a corner. Um, <clears throat> but all of those reasons aside, are we going to see Monaco again? Do we want to see Monaco
0: again? What are your thoughts? This is probably the most exciting Monaco race we've had in a while. Would well, that be a fair I, statement? I think, like,
1: we've had some pretty exciting races within the last decade, but for not mm-hmm. racing reasons, right? Obviously, my head and my fanboyism yep. goes to Danny Rick winning in 2016, I think, 18. Was that was it his last, last year with 18. Red Bull, I want to yep. say,
0: 2018. When he was... Yeah, that was.
1: Yeah, so season. his... his uh, yep uh he was down on power had the lead of the race and was able to hold on it was a big epic win and he would it should have won in 2016 so it was a little bit of a redemption story arc thing there um but we've had some exciting races for different reasons it's a bet ba- it's a battle of pit strategy and things like that in monaco it's never been about the racing or hasn't been in a very long time but it's it's got to go i think oh i mean i don't know let me let me get your thoughts
0: No, no. So, I mean, you're not leading the witness at all. I mean, I was just kind of asking you, based on what you were going to say, I was going to frame this. If we thought that was an exciting race, I almost think that to the appeal and luster of how prestigious Monaco is, think of it as the racing equivalent of Madison Square Garden, give it some time off so people can truly cherish and appreciate it. Because when it comes back, they're going to do pop and circumstance really well at Monaco. Like you mentioned, they are a very financially gifted region of the world fair to say so let the absence make the heart grow fonder because all we've talked about in the half season that we've been broadcasting is the fact that it's a very boring race it's tough to do anything especially given the new specs of these new cars so give it a sabbatical it's taken a well-earned rest because the other thing i'm a fan of especially as a new fan i don't like the concept of sacred cows being there and standing in the pasture just because they're a sacred cow I'm a fickle fan that asks, what have you done for me lately from an excitement perspective? To your point, Todd, you are more of a racing purist. You've done this a while. You are, in my eyes, one of the historians of the sport because I always learn a lot from you, similar to like I learn a lot from Aaron and Nick. But it just seems to me that this is as perfect of a point for both parties to just take a break. We're not saying go away forever. Just take a break. Look at what are exciting races. What can you do to make this race more exciting? Because right now, it almost seems to be the thinking man's race, like you pointed out, where it comes down to pit strategy. It comes down to the X's and O's of Formula One as opposed to the performance of the cars. Yeah, it,
1: that's a that's a great point um, or a great way to say it, the X's and O's. Um, but it's always like, even if there's like a pit strategy excitement, like we look back to... I think we haven't had a Monaco race in two years because of the Corona thing or COVID, whatever. Um, we look back at like the excitement and the pit stuff. And one notable thing is Terry, uh, Terry Bodass with his 96 hour pit stop. Um, that was actually the time when they machined the wheel nut off. If, for those that are new fans, uh, Valtteri went in for a pit stop. They stuck the, the, the gun on there to take the wheel off and it sheared smooth the wheel nut, the nut that holds the wheel on. And they played a slow-mo a bunch of times. It was actually really cool to look at, but it you just saw little shards of metal flying out of the gun every which way. And 96 hours later back at the factory, they were finally able to get the wheel off. But my point there being that they, it's only in excitement in, kind of the things going wrong that happens at Monaco. However, the best part about Monaco is the track and what it does for qualifying. There's no more exciting thing or exciting track in Formula One to watch qualifying on. The Saturday is the best Saturday there is in Formula One because it's cars going at 10 tenths, literally millimeters from the barrier there was actually a pretty popular replay from this race i think it was mick schumacher going around a corner
0: literally it was mick it was a couple other people like they love that one camera because to your point it felt as if there was a millimeter between life or death and ironically the thing that struck me as a formula one fan as i was kind of learning up about the sport was what's the gold standard right senna at monaco like that's why you watch that movie. That's why you get into this sport. And it's funny you mentioned that because I am not one for qualifying. For me, I've just made the deal with my wife and my kid that I will not do all of Formula One. I'll just watch the race. But this Saturday or rather that Saturday, I was fortunate enough to, get, uh, to watch it and I totally get it. And now I'm going to add a amendment to that clause of, I will not watch any qualifying except for Monaco because of the fact that it is exactly fun. And there is that agent of chaos. And as somebody that always roots for chaos over stability when it comes to my sporting endeavors, I appreciated that component of it. But go on. Like, it's not enough. And in my mind, if you are going to have Monaco be what feels like almost an all-star game type event where it's more about the people in the crowd than the people in the car... Sure. Keep it there, but make it an exhibition race, because I think that's the only way I can think of giving Monaco some sort of break, but also giving it a window to come back onto the regularly scheduled travel cadence. Because that track doesn't make sense to me, because it just seems like the way LeBron James shrinks a court whenever he plays basketball in it, that's how I feel these cars are on Monaco, where it's just like they're literally trying to think think thin thoughts it's they're trying to squeeze through a door and they're 600 pounds and you haven't had enough butter in the world to grease the doorways. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's an interesting way to look at the spectacle of that is Monaco.
0: of A fact. I was trying to come up with the white (laughs) trash. You really nailed it.
1: You really nailed it. Um, But yeah, like the point is the cars are at this point, six feet wide. There's spots in the track in Monaco that literally can only really fit one car, not even one and a half cars. There's essentially no passing, even the DRS zone down the, the pit straight. You need a extreme tire delta to be able to make that pass. Um, <clears throat> so I think we saw and we even had a wet race, which generally, you know, mixes things up. And you can see it's really about the driver then not not as much around the cars. And we saw the biggest processional train i think i can remember in recent memory there was literally 13 cars or more i think behind alonso nobody able to pass and the crazy thing was that hamilton had much faster a much faster car on much faster tires and he still was unable to pass because of the conditions because of the track but back to the point there i think they either changed the event as Rohit said, make it an exhibition race, make it uh, some sort of a spec race or put it on some sort of a rotation, like Rohit said again, to where they alternate between, you know, maybe, Mon- I, obviously this isn't going to happen. Uh, I was going to say Miami and Monaco because those are the two spectacle races, but Miami just signed a 10-year deal, so that's not going to happen. But maybe alternate between Monaco and some of the other... Sochi. uh, Yeah. I mean, I'd rather, honestly, as bad as the racing that Sochi generally produces because of the track layout and things, I'd rather watch a race at Sochi than I would at Monaco, with the exception of the qualifying thing, obviously. But until we get new cars that are not only smaller, but lighter and more nimble in the slow speed corners, I don't think we're going to have a good race at Monaco. And it's been proven for the last God knows. Actually, Aaron, shout out to Aaron again. I think he said in the, uh, the discord that we haven't had good racing at Monaco in, in, since like the 50s when it was like literally like a tin can with wheels. That's the last time. Probably we had a good race in there.
0: Yep. Yeah. And the other thing I think about as we kind of go through the options for Monaco, why not make it first alternate? We're living in a post COVID world where inevitably we'll have 22 races, but then when the rubber meets the road, we are going to see a couple races be chopped off for various reasons. Monaco can, Monaco can always be there in that sense. And then maybe it has that credibility and it begins to, come up with some of that goodwill that I think we need from it. Because the other frustration I see from race fans about Monaco is the fact that to Todd's point and the point we've made ad infinitum is it's just not compelling. Like it's almost, if you would try to bring in a new person into the sport that we all like and love, our suggestion for this race would be, take them to the Saturday spectacle and for, tell them to forget about Sunday because that's how you bring people to Monaco and that's how you get people to get an appreciation for it because it's proven time and time again we're just not captivating races the way we would with, let's say, a Baku or an Austin. Or give me some other examples of exciting tracks. No,
1: I mean, <clears throat> those are two exciting tracks for for different reasons. Um, like, the atmosphere around Austin is, like, electric. It held the record for the most fans at... Uh, Excuse me, one race weekend up until this year when I think uh what race took that?
0: Did my did Miami take it? I feel like Miami takes no, everything. Now. It was and if they don't, that's what like 491 stains too a, bad. Uh I
1: yeah. think it was Australia, actually. Australia this year. Okay. Uh beat them by ten or so thousand. It was initially like just over four hundred thousand at Austin last year. And I think my uh not Miami. Um Australia did like 415000 or something like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm totally fine even as a lifelong, not lifelong, long-time Formula One fan as not seeing Monaco for a long time or at least until the regulation changes because the regulation regulation changes, again, that we talked about previously are smaller, lighter cars while still remaining the safety
0: aspects of them. That, that and remind us, Todd, when is that change? Is it twenty twenty six?
1: Is the next regulation change, which they're announcing now with these three pillars that we talked about, um, or I don't know what what was it, six pillars? Uh, but we we're not gonna we're not gonna see an exciting race there. It's literally only about the glitz and the glam and qualifying, and that's it. And even the qualifying sessions, while they are good, it's cars on the edge. They've been spoiled in the last couple of years by people crashing. Charles Leclerc, last time we had a race there, um, uh, absolutely flying. He was just cooking on that lap and then clipped that barrier that we just talked about with the Mick Schumacher, couldn't fit a piece of paper in there, Um, clipped that barrier and then sent it in the wall. And then this year we have, again, great, great qualifying up until Sergio Perez, wrecks and then. Carlos Sainz crashes into him that actually brings up that point again Max Verstappen um in the nicest way he could said uh if you red flag the qualifying because you crash you shouldn't be able to get pole and I kind of agree with that what do you think
0: I think that is fair because the lasting image I have of that qualifying is seeing that Benny Hill-esque comedy spin that Checo had and then Carlos Sainz said, hold my sangria as I try to do the same and it almost looked like a perfect block because Max couldn't go through. Like I'm convinced that even if there was a sliver of a gap old Max Verstappen would have tried to plow through (laughs) that because he is that competitive and say what you will about him. But no, I think it does need to be paused. Worst case scenario, we know that in that instance, Checo and Carlos are in the top 10. Move them down to 9 and 10. Make it open. And that's the thing I don't understand, because if it is a sport that prides itself on rule regulation, as well as steward maintenance, why couldn't we have paused the session right there, clean the track up and then similar to what we see in American sports, start the clock again once everything is. Yeah,
1: I, I they could they could do that. Like, I mean, I guess the challenge there is that there was, I think, less than a minute left on the clock. So in Formula One, you have to be able to.
0: That's hit the fair. start
1: finish line on a flying lap before the clock runs out. But I wouldn't mind giving everybody else in the top 10 because like, let's be real. Those are the only people who have a chance um, to, to get pole. And there's a that track evolution involved where the, the more laps that are done around the track, it gets a little bit stickier The cars can go just that much, you know, 10th of a second faster. And as we saw, Max was going faster on, on his lap and then it got spoiled by the by the crash and the other thing that we've seen in the past in many occasions or not many occasions but several uh 2016 nico rosberg which is you know battle nico versus lewis the only
0: the infamous blemish in lewis hamilton's mercedes yes, record. exactly
1: he had pole had his pole lap and conveniently parked his car saying oh something's wrong with it something's wrong with it at the Turner, uh, the turn, I think Rascas, um, yes, and just said like, "Oh, something's wrong with my car," but that caused yellow flags, which means Hamilton has to lift off, thereby securing uh, securing the the pole for for Hamilton, who I think went on to win the race. Um, but like Max has a great point: if you cause a crash or a uh, uh, delay in qualifying, you should either, everyone else that's still in the top 10 should be able to give, get one more hot lap in, in, you know, call it a random order. So there's no like fair advantage or unfair advantage for the person that goes last gets the most track evolution, or they should automatically, Mm -hmm. like you said, be put in 10th and then whoever is above them bumped up the order on the starting grid, whatever, whichever way I would be totally open to.
0: No, and I think the thing is, I knowing how race control is, knowing how the f i a is they've already had one season and in controversy, arguably the greatest season that Formula One has had. I don't know if they're going to make the changes for this, but it is one of those things that I think new fans coming into the sport have the hindsight to be like, "Why are we doing it this old antiquated way because it just doesn't seem to make sense, and I'm hoping that. If there is enough of an upswell from that new fan base that it clearly seems that Formula One is chasing, then they need to adjust the rules. And I don't want to come in here similar to what the ABA did with the NBA in terms of this trailblazing league, where we're coming up with these leagues or these rules that feel convoluted to longtime viewers, but there is something to be said about having a fairness doctrine when you're participating in this sport. And I could care less. I'm not necessarily the biggest Red, Red Bull fan on the panel. Shout out to Aaron. He is. But I did feel that that was a bit unfair to Max. That might be the only time I say that this season, but I want to let the record show that I agree with Max on this. Let these dudes race because that's what this sport is built on. This unofficial rattling cry of, we're not going to win this in the back, looking at tire deltas and moving certain configurations an inch this way to give us that. No, we're just here to race, let the best racer win. And that's what we're hoping to do.
1: Yeah, I agree. I hope something changes. I hope that rule gets looked at at least, <clears throat> excuse me, in the off season. And I hope at least for, you know, the next few years that Monaco's either not on the calendar or changed to some other type of, Race, maybe a qualifying type of set. I don't know how they could do it. I don't, I don't have the answers there, but.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I don't think neither does the FIA, but if you are telling me that within the last couple of years they've made sprint racing a thing, why not have an entire race dedicated on quali? It's convoluted, it's gimmicky as hell, but you've already put that barometer in the seat, so to speak, to say, yeah, we're doing sprint races now. And not only that, they've been increasing the point totals for people winning sprint races. So that just tells me that they are trying to jazz things up a bit. Yeah. I mean, or make like...
1: Mandatory pit stops. Make them use all three compounds. Do something. Shake it up, because if it's only on pit strategy, and we know that there can't be passing, make them win the race in the pits on strategy. Uh,
0: something. I I don't know. I I don't know. I will leave with this parting thought: it should be about the gyms and the joes, not the x's and o's. So, that being said, while we talk (laughs) about the gyms and joes, bars. Thank you, sir. There is a certain Australian, since we kind of mentioned Australia at the early part of this episode, Todd, I'm going to give you, let's say five to seven minutes. Let's just talk this Daniel Ricardo thing out. I know it's painful for you, but you know, you're in a safe space. You're amongst a friend. What is going on with your guy? <sighs> because it's getting worse and maybe he's going to hit true rock bottom before he begins the ascendancy again, but this is getting bad. And I mean, we don't even have the tonsillitis to blame this time. Or do we? I mean yeah like a little bit that's it's
1: lando on qualifying still wasn't um hundred percent he canceled all of his media sessions all of his public appearances
0: et cetera et cetera I was reading a report he barfed in his helmet at one point this
1: weekend or in in Monaco he did
0: yeah oh I mean yeah I believe that is yeah he said he
1: was still wasn't wasn't feeling good he said I think they talked to him post race and he said for the race day he was actually feeling finally mostly normal but like excuses aside and i know shout out to trev uh our canadian brethren he's gonna you you might want to earplug this one because i know you love when i talk about Daniel ricardo he needs to get his shit together i am the biggest Daniel ricardo apologist you know last year when it was new team new car new environment you know, it's just going to take some time and he's going to, he's going to, he'll get there. He's, you know, last of the late breakers. He's just got to adjust to the car. He came off a pretty, I think, uh, pre- pretty two solid seasons with uh, with Alpine. Then they were Renault. Um, Renault. He yep. had several podiums with in a car that had no business being there. Um, None whatsoever. And... Uh, they, they just, you know, he, 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 he was in demand and is why he was signed to McLaren for a big deal. But since then, and it pains me to say this, he has been one of the biggest disappointments in formula one. Like, obviously we have our strolls and Latifi's of the world that, or even, uh, Joe Guan Yu's yes, there it is. <laughs> um just for you buddy <laughs> you know shout out to him cuz he's the only sneakerhead on the grid and wears some some heat when he's getting off his private planes and whatnot but we have them right so we could talk about them till we're blue in the face like we have more proof this race and I'm not deflecting here but on the formation laps the <laughs> Latifi crashed in the slowest corner on the track and Lance Stroll slid into the wall before the race had even started, but Daniel Ricardo,
0: hold my Nelson.
1: Yeah, really, just Lebat blew my face. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Ricardo is is in no man's land. He is underperforming in a like he's you know six tenths off in qualifying, which is a Grand Canyon size gap in Formula One, and in the race he's being overtaken by cars with less pace because he's just not comfortable in the car. And I don't know what his, his problem is, but if he doesn't have a passion for it, or if he's not settling well within that team, we heard in several interviews and media posts this weekend that Zach Brown was asked about his contract. Zach Brown said, and I, I, Paraphrase here. Uh, there's mechanisms. I don't want to get into the contract thing, but there's mechanisms to which we're committed to Daniel, and there's mechanisms into which we're not. Basically saying uh, that there's there's ways to get out of the contract if we want to. And um, shout out to another Canadian, uh, Jack Villeneuve, uh, said, I've been through that before, and that's just him publicly saying that his time at McLaren is over putting pressure on the driver and preparing the media for what's inevitably going to happen and at this point with his underperformances unless he has a stellar rest of the season or second half of the season maybe he's still getting getting to grips with the car or the changes um because we're on a new formula set here and he's not used to it maybe he has a couple more races of leeway before he has to start performing but he needs to for the second half of the season, be on the same pace as Lando or out qualifying Lando for the majority of the season and finishing, you know, neck and neck minus or plus one position to Lando for the rest of the season, or it's, it's game over. They're already flirting with Colton Herta from IndyCar. They have, I believe they signed uh kind of a, an agreement with uh, Alpine to, borrow oscar piastri the previous f2 champion if they want to excuse me um if if they need to i should say for any reason and they have several other links to other drivers which i have an interesting curveball here um uh throw it at me i think and i heard this rumor and it actually makes sense to me because of checo's
0: signing we have to talk about that yep Yep, I'm thinking the same exact thing. But, but because
1: of Checo signing Pierre Gasly to McLaren, that actually makes sense. It to makes me. the
0: most sense. It makes a hell of a lot of sense.
1: Even though per- Gasly is underperforming, I think he's a top talent in Formula One. He wants to get out from under the Red Bull domination, uh, Doctor Evil helmet, Marco, um, and they're still kind of have the trajectory uh, the projection trajectory. There's a word uh, tra- trajectory is what I wanted to say on the way up. Granted, they had a big kind of come to Jesus at the beginning of the year for several reasons with their car, but they seem to be kind of teetering around the fourth best car on the grid. Um, So still close enough to the top of the grid where Pierre can perform, be in the points on most races. And he's What 26, Daniel Ricardo's I
0: think he's 32, 33, something like that.
1: Yeah. So as much as it pains me to say it, I I could see Danny Rick being off the grid or at one of the retirement teams, let's say uh, by next year.
0: No, I mean, I, the way I look at it, and I did some quick Googling because that's what the internet allows us to do. Daniel McLaren, uh, Daniel McLaren, Daniel Ricardo is 32 years old. The thing that was really interesting, and it's this news has come out in the last couple of days. There was a reporter from, I believe, a website called The Race, Scott Mitchell, that reports that McLaren actually cannot choose to end the working arrangement early, but Daniel Ricardo can. So I'm wondering, is this a buyout thing? Because if that is to be believed, and like I said, we're not Formula One contract lawyers. This is all speculation that we're going off of. That makes sense to me that if the driver has the power, then why not stay for another year? Because that's what Daniel Ricciardo is scheduled to do. If I'm Zach Brown, here's a check for $20 million. See ya, but see ya. I don't want to see you again, but I appreciate what you did in terms of allowing us to realize that Lando really is that good because I think that is ultimately what I would have thought Zach Brown brought in Daniel Ricciardo for because if Daniel Ricciardo beats Lando I think that's a bigger failure in the McLaren infrastructure so as far as I'm concerned if I'm looking at this a particular way this was a blessing in disguise to your point If they want to go after Oscar Piatri, if they want to go after Colton Huerta, I think those are another couple names I've butchered. So I truly am turning into Charles Barkley when it comes to Formula One. (laughs) I love potential, but give me Pierre Gasly because I could almost make the argument that the worst car we've seen on the grid this year is that Alfa Oh, I
1: think that's a strong statement.
0: But... I'm I'm much like Daniel Ricciardo's the king of the late breakers I'm king of the hottest takes but it's one of those things where I can't think of anything else because you're telling me that as big of a loss in faith that Daniel Ricciardo has Pierre Gasly is going through the same thing in a sense but he's going through it in a much more inferior car but his reputation isn't as dented as Ricciardo's has been in the last two years and granted yeah he won at Monza, and that's a thing to hang your hat on, especially considering, I think, the two Ferraris are second and third. So that is a certain fu to anybody doubting his credentials. But come on home to America, Daniel Rick, because I think there's a stock car racing series that would embrace you like your hero Dale Earnhardt Jr. Because similar to what you and I were chatting about in the pre-show meeting, Todd, We are used to European soccer players coming to America to do one last job, so to speak, in the MLS. I could see Danny Rick doing that for NASCAR because he is as popular of a person that got this country into Formula One because he was the focal point of that first season of Drive to Survive. So there is that attachment to the brand, the person. But I'm also just shooting at the hip from this point. Save me for myself. (laughs) I I
1: mean, I could see him in kind of a... Jokey sense trying to do a a NASCAR thing. He does have this whole Americanism about him. He's a somehow a bills fan. He considers himself a Texan, at least part Texan. He loves his favorite. One of his favorite races on the calendar besides Australia is Austin. Um, he, I think has a home in LA. He enjoys a lot about the American culture. culture. Yeah. Culture. Um, I don't know if he would actually end up racing in NASCAR. I think he really is, at least in his head, still committed to Formula One. So if he did for some reason or for the reasons we're talking about leave McLaren, I think he would more so do his retirement tour
0: at a... Williams because let's say this we've talked about Alex Albon possibly taking Yuki Tsunoda's seat if your scenario that you just called out comes to fruition Yuki's got a safe seat you've got a Pierre Gasly sized hole in AlphaTauri move Albon there and you've got a seat in Williams because unless Alpha Romeo offers I was going to say
1: I, I, yeah. I was going to say Alpha because I and this is one one thing we haven't talked about yet the pay drivers specifically Joe Stroll And Latifi prove pretty much on every race that they are in over their heads and shouldn't be there. And the money can only get you so far that they just don't have what it takes. Like we've had Albon put the Williams into the
0: points twice, I think, so far this year. He's gotten a ninth and a tenth. Probably one of the most memorable drives of the season. Yeah. Considering he it laid it so late. Left, ah, left it so late. Wow. Left it so late to pit that race. And we were all having a panic attack. Just wondering like, what the hell are you doing, dude? Yeah. that. I mean, is, that's a great example in, in the
1: alpha cars. Guan Yu Zhou, I think his best qualifying result, I want to say, is like 13th or 14th. Botas has been as high as 6th. 6th? Yeah. I, I want to say 6th. Um and he's had several race finishes in the points. Quan Yu Zhou, I think, actually did get a race finish in the points, but it was because of uh, it was one of those races of attrition or something. I think he got a tenth in there somewhere. Um, we'll take a point. Yeah, but like, and and uh, Alpha Tari, I think they're kind of in a no man's land. They do have uh, they have had rough races with from like a reliability standpoint. Yuki is all over the place and has still yet to prove himself deserving of that seat. And now with the Honda ties kind of up in the air and all the rumors about Porsche coming into being the Red Bull partner for the engine manufacturing plant now that they have. um, I see Yuki going off the grid. Uh, Maybe your preseason prediction of like, what what did you say? Like five drivers? Five. Five Five drivers drivers. leaving the sport. Maybe it's true because I could see all three paid drivers, Yuki and
0: Ricardo. I'll give you one more. Seb Vettel might retire this year. I was thinking. Yeah. No, go ahead. that, That Aston Martin spot looks more and more desirable. And if Danny Rick is going through a tailspin, what better way, what better gift Daddy Stroll can buy his son than a over the hill Formula One driver that, If Lance Stroll can consistently beat Daniel Rick, that's fool's gold. But if I'm Lawrence Stroll, sign me up for that. My kid can prove that he is the better driver at the expense of a world-class, world champion-esque driver. Although he is very much in his deathbed of a career. I don't know. Like I said, we've gotten to the point in the podcast now where I'm just throwing stuff against the wall, but it's going to be really interesting because I think like soccer, like basketball, we're living in the golden era of the player movement. Uh, Nick, take a break there. We're living in the golden era of player empowerment and player movement or driver movement in this case. So it'll be very interesting to see because inevitably for all these moves to happen, one domino has to fall. And I think Daniel Ricciardo is going to be that lead
1: I mean, every part of my being hopes that you're wrong and Iron Trev is wrong because I want my boy to stick in with Formula One. I mean, Alonso, and I'm not saying that Ricardo is as good as Alonso, but Alonso's still racing. He's 40-something. Maybe he's just having a slump. Maybe the team chemistry is not there. Maybe he's really not getting... The car that he wants, I I watched a pretty interesting video on why Mm -hmm. specifically that he's slower than Lando and it's down to, again, the braking thing. Um, He likes uh, to kind of roll a higher speed through the corner and use less brake and Lando is much more, I'm okay with like stamping on the brakes to get the car to rotate in a corner and that's where he's losing a lot of time. Because the car is innately understeery, But I'm not going to get too technical because I don't know what I'm talking about. No, no. I
0: appreciate that technicality because what do we know about Daniel Rick? If you don't know anything about him, his nickname is the King of the Late Breakers. So if you have that person on your team and you're building a car that is counterintuitive to his tendencies, then McLaren is kind of reaping the fruit that they've sowed. Are they not? Yeah, but But
1: he's had... mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, but he's had the better part of two well, a season in that almost a half now to get used to the aspects of that car and try as he might train as he might, it's not working. So if he really can't wrap his head around that car, and I even think in Monza in his win last year, I'm not above saying that I think Lando was the faster driver that weekend. It's just that they played the team game. Um, It's so that's his one shining spot, which really should have been a P2 granted. He was on pace that weekend, uh, at the top of the, the food chain there, but I think it was a P2, not a P1. Um, unless he has another moment like that where he's beating Lando on pure pace and winning the race, <clears throat> or at least consistently at the same mark as Lando, I could see him gone. Because Zach Brown is the king. If, if Daniel Ricciardo the last of the late breakers or the king of the late breakers, uh, Zach Brown is the king of the marketers and he wants as much as he can to have that American market because McLaren is the most popular American team um, from a marketing standpoint I should say sure. and he wants that Colton Herta in that seat or he wants that American market you know, market share So hey, whatever it was he- to
0: make America great again when it comes to Formula 1 racing oh, it god. seems oh god
1: so <laughs> Zach Trump Anyway, last thing I'll say on this, I hope that you, me, all of the media, Iron Trev, everybody's wrong, but I could see him exiting, uh, exiting McLaren at very least at the end of the year, if not exiting F1 in a, as a whole.
0: And we'll leave on that somber note. So before we get out of here, Todd, tell people where they can find you on the social media.
1: Wait, one second, sir. We have to do oh, fantasy updates. Oh, that's updates. right.
0: I'm so sorry. How could I forget?
1: We have to do our fantasy updates. So I will start yes. with the league that shall not be named and while I do that, um I want to say special shout out to our Discord again. Please come join us for the conversation. The conversation around Monaco was uh absolutely fantastic. Um even though we didn't have the live stream going, like the chat was explosive, even during that hour delay that we had. Uh, we we've just chatted about all kinds of stuff and all the chaos and all the people running around in the pit lanes. It was a good time. So shout out to all the people in the discord. Come join us. Come join the conversation. Um, so the Voldemort League, uh, we had uh, last race points. Let me see. Oh, wow. Um, I'm still in first in that league somehow. I am just accidentally killing this league. I was in first with 991 points. Jackal was in second with 916 points. And Aaron was in third with uh, 908 points. Uh, Shout out to Julie in fourth there. Nick has gone up to fifth in that league. And uh, Rohit, you are... Am I last? Nope, you're in seventh somehow but you also literally had zero points last race because you have you have zero drivers on your team
0: yes that's my form of protest if you're going to leak my password i'm not going to put drivers on my no i should (laughs) get back to it so i promise that coming into this next race i will have a full driver lineup but it's been an adventure that league and yeah the fact that you're not in
1: last and had zero (laughs) points is 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 a win
0: it's just a testament to my acumen as a prognosticator, if you will.
1: Yes. So um, in the official F1 Exhaust Notes po- podcast fantasy league for the Monaco Grand Prix, we had uh, Aaron Alhasno Breaks in first place with 220 points. Alpha Ash Ari uh, in second place with uh, 213 points. And I was in third toot toot, uh, with and Excuse me, ninety-five points. Uh shout out to Roe in fourth with hundred and eighty-four points. And where was the speeding burritos? Oof, rough week for our dear friend. Is Nicholas. he in last place? He was second to last.
0: Okay, so he so wasn't gonna...
1: He wasn't Go quite ahead. wasn't quite uh Latifi this this season or this this race. He was like a okay, so Joe. It's,
0: it's funny you mentioned Latifi because I'm ready to pull a George Russell and be like sacrifice my team. Let Mickey get into the points. So I will sacrifice my teams in all the leagues, except for maybe the exhaust notes draft at the expense of Nick Angball, because he truly is the Nicholas Latifi to my George Russell. Nice. So for the
1: season totals, uh, our season positions, uh, we have Alpha Ash Ari still in first um, because of their mega drive with 1467. uh, Second place. (laughs) Was um Aaron all has no breaks with 1447 so 20 points behind? Hasn't used the mega drive yet. Um, and if P3, we had Nicholas C for tapping that ass, I love his team name. Uh, with 1404, I am currently in fourth. Uh, row you're in seventh, and Nick is in tenth.
0: Sacrifice my day, uh, my race, let Mickey score points. <laughs> you're gonna. <laughs> Pull the George Russell again. All right. And the most important
1: one, um, most least important one, I should say for the Monaco GP, we have the exhaust notes, pod drafts, league, whatever thing we made up. So, um, in P4 that week, we had, Oh, Nick's not having a good week. (laughs) Is he? Um, we have a, a tie for the lowest points total in a week. Uh, Nick had 35. He also had two two of the racers that had DNFs. So that hurt him pretty, pretty bad. Um, uh, in second place, actually, there's a tie for P2 of the week. Uh, Aaron and I both had 50 points. And Rohit, coming from, if you ain't first, you're last, Ricky Bobby style. Woo! He, actually, he went from P3 to P1 with a whopping total and a new high, highly weak score for the second week in a row, uh, with 64 points, beating his previous record by one point.
0: Uh, no, 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 no. I, so this is where I get to brag about my co-host because if you can, Todd, tell me who scored the most points in Australia. Uh, that would be one Todd Yates at a massive 65 points. So I'm coming oh, for that 65. Wow, that you're okay. okay, I apologize. No. Hey man, you got some dirt on your shoulder, homie. Let me brush it off for you. So I just wow. wanted to say game recognized game. And that gentleman in that New York Rangers hat is looking real familiar right now. <laughs>
1: well, as, as you said earlier, uh, I'm mostly a Whitney, Whitney type of race fan. So what have you done for me lately? And it's Australia's too long ago. So, so, okay. So one of the highest points totals uh, of the season so far With 64 points, which has taken him from third place to first place. And the season totals so far are uh, in P4, we have Nick with 326. In P3, we have Aaron with 337. I'm in P2 with 348. And a massive lead, Rohit with 372.
0: If results hold... And Valtteri Botas offers more prints of that ass. I will buy this. If I win this league, I will buy it and I will make that my avatar for all my social medias because people need to know about my kickass, literally in this case, demeanor when it comes to race prognostication. So thank you, Valtteri. I hope I can channel that and be the shit, so to speak.
1: Well, let's hope um, somebody can stop
0: us. I,
1: well, let's hope something good. something happens in the good in the universe and you end up with that print hanging on your wall in the back there.
0: It'll be right next to my Costanza print. Just a nice. a monument of white men ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: So that wraps it up. Um apologies for not doing the Friday pod that we promised as the, you know, pre-race for Monaco. Uh we are planning to do that this week. And hell or high water, at least Rohit and I have committed to that so we'll do the friday pod and uh do a pre-race for baku coming up and anyway as you were saying
0: tell yes. them where- as i was saying uh i asked todd to provide where he can be found on social media but as he takes a sip of water i'll go ahead and do that first you can find me on twitter at rohizi on instagram at road 13 todd where can they find you I am uh, T Easy on Instagram at T
1: One on Twitter. Give me a follow. I post funny things quite often, and um, more importantly, uh, Exhaust Note FM on all the major platforms. ExhaustNotes.fm for the podcasts and links to all of the, all of our socials. And come join us in the Discord.
0: Please come join us in the Discord. Uh, we miss you, Papa Bear, Nick Engval, wherever you are. Hoping you're eating a burrito and resting so you are bright and ready for Friday's show. And yeah, look forward to hearing from everybody else. If we have nothing else, we will end the call. So thank you, everybody. Peace. Feel better, Nick. Feel better.